Servus and greetings from Vienna. My name is Anita Posch. Thank you for listening to Bitcoin und Co., my podcast that's introducing the philosophy, ideas and people behind Bitcoin. Hello everybody, thanks for tuning in again. It's three and a half weeks before I'm going to Zimbabwe and Botswana and I'm getting more excited every day. I'm still reaching out to potential sponsors and supporters. I found the first supporter in Peter McCormick, the host of the What Bitcoin Did and the Defiance podcast, who sponsored my flights. Now, the company GoTenna also supports my trip, donating some of their GoTenna devices that can be used to set up a mesh network to transmit text messages and Bitcoin payments, even when there is a power or internet outage. On my crowdfunding page, I received about 30 US dollars so far. Thank you all for that. It would be great if I could reach at least 300 US dollars on the crowdfunding, then I could donate the parts for two Raspi Blitz devices, which is a Bitcoin and Lightning network node, one for each community I visit. You can support me via PayPal, Bitcoin and Lightning at bitcoinandco.com forward slash en forward slash donate. If you're representing a company and are interested in working together, please send me a message to hello at anitaposch.com with a C, the posh with a C, and I will send you more information about the sponsorship opportunities. Thank you. My guests in this episode are Patrick Chokorda, Josef Tetek and Thomas Marada. We met at the Hackers Congress in Prague. They are working on a project called DeBank, spelled D-E-B-N-K. Their goal is to build global peer banking on top of the Bitcoin settlement layer. This trustless third layer on top of Bitcoin will be able to store different assets and make stable coins obsolete. We talk about how this will be implemented, the use cases they see, and about volatility and price discovery in Bitcoin, the block subsidy, the halving, and Bitcoin in the Czech Republic. At the moment, the development team is looking for grants to bootstrap the MVP, the Minimal Viable Product. Patrick and Thomas just launched a Bitcoin quant fund called Hedge.Capital, that will also serve as funding vehicle for D-Bank later on. Before we start, a message from my sponsors. If you want to be independent and secure your personal financial freedom with Bitcoin, you have to hold your own keys and must not use a custodial wallet. So if you're one of the people who thinks of investing in Bitcoin long term in the most easy way and who prefers not to use a hardware wallet because it has to be maintained, doing firmware updates and more, or you just want to gift someone Bitcoin, then the card wallet is for you. You'll get one Bitcoin address, you can send Bitcoin to it, and all you have to do is to store it in a safe place. That's it. The manufacturers are the Austrian State Printing House, which is also responsible for the Austrian passports, and Coinfinity, Austria's first Bitcoin broker. Order your card wallet at cardwallet.com forward slash Anita and get 20% off. 
Now on to the show. And as always, you can find all recommendations and links mentioned in this episode in the show notes on the episode page at bitcoinandco.com. There you can also find a books page with all reading recommendations from my guests, bitcoinandco.com with an U. Please subscribe to my show in your favorite podcast player, come back for more episodes and share it on social media. Today is a premiere. Today I have uh, three guys in one interview. That's the first time for me. It's uh, Josef Tetek, Patrick Chokorda and Thomas Marada. Hello, welcome. We're here at the Hackers Congress in uh, Prague. It's my first time. Have you been here before, Patrick? Yes, I was. Two years ago, actually. I, I missed last year. Okay, are you from Prague? We're from Prague, yes. Oh, yeah, then it's easy to yeah. go. <laughs> you founded a company called Debanked. We'll get into that later, what that means. Please uh, introduce yourself. What did you do before you came into the Bitcoin space, Patrick? Um, I started to read up on Bitcoin in on the break of 2016, 2017. Uh, at that time, I was still running my uh, financial technology startup. Uh, I built two companies in fintech, so on traditional rails. It was a payment company. And um, I exited in 2018, actually after 2017 peak. I thought this is something very interesting. So I just exited this dead startup and I focused fully on Bitcoin. So, I, but I started to read up on Bitcoin from technology point of view and I ended up uh, appreciating the monetary policy of it. So mm -hmm. we'll get into that yeah. later. Yeah. Josef. Yes. Hi. So, um, I'm from Prague as well. I was actually uh, born not that far away from Prague and I've lived in Prague for 30 years and I rarely travel out of Prague. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, uh, my background is, uh, economics. I studied uh, economics itself and I was always attracted by Austrian school of economics. We have quite a nice, uh, like background in Austrian school here in Czech Republic. Uh, sometimes uh, people say that uh, it should be renamed to Czech uh, School of Economics <laughs> because it's more popular here than in Austria. And uh, so, yeah, uh, I and a couple of friends founded uh, Ludwig von Mises Institute, uh, Czech and Slovakia in 2010. And we've been having like uh, uh, summer schools and published books uh, ever since. And uh, at uh, the summer school, I think 2010 or 11, we had a talk uh, about Bitcoin and uh, I was kind of interested in that, but uh, didn't pay much attention uh, that far back. Uh, so I bought my first Bitcoin like uh, five years later or something. Uh, and then I gradually like uh, went through the rabbit hole of learning about Bitcoin uh, until I met, uh, until I actually went full time into Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrency consulting analysis and writing. When was that? That was uh, actually by the end of 2017. I felt rich by then, <laughs> <laughs> but I huddled. So uh, I, uh, later on, I found out I still have to work. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it, that was uh, quite a good experience because it, uh, It uh, forced me to like really focus on, like Andreas always says, uh, on education, not speculation. So I um, educated myself more and uh, tried to find out like uh, good uh, long-term projects. And uh, it eventually uh, f 
went to like uh, meeting Patrick and Tomash and uh, thinking about uh, stuff like uh, financial contracts on top of Bitcoin, which is basically D-Bank. And um, you, all three of you, are you working full-time in the Bitcoin space? So no other jobs, no classical like in the other? Actually, I'm working with uh, like a software development company, Topmonks, uh, which is unrelated to uh, D-Bank. Uh, so, but I, what I do at Top Monks is basically, uh, like publishing analysis, uh, consultancy, and it's all related to cryptocurrency one way or another. Mm -hmm. Tomas? Hi. Uh, I'm also from Prague. Uh, I came from, uh, academic background. I did some research in, in, uh, credit risk modeling and derivative hedging. And last few years, I'm totally fascinated by Bitcoin, and uh, I think it's the biggest adventure, uh, not adventure, uh, invention in last it's also couple an adventure. <laughs> adventure too, <laughs> in last couple hundred years. And um, uh, so, last about a year, I'm fully in Bitcoin. I don't have any other job. Okay, so but you say it's such an innovation, innovative step. Why? Why do you think it is? I think it's a little bit similar like uh, invention of writing. Uh, it, it is a technology which, which uh, will completely disrupt how we cooperate uh, as a society. Uh, it's, a, it's much better technology than, than uh, we have right now, I, th I believe. But it's uh, just the beginning. It, it needs time to develop. Do you mean also in the technological standpoint, like from security side, like uh, comparing it to the classical financial uh, technologies? In, in in many ways, in many layers, in many ways. Um, education, technology, uh, innovation on top of uh, on top of it, uh, m many layers. Okay, Patrick, uh, what fascinated you with Bitcoin or in Bitcoin? Um, as I mentioned, I started to look at it from my uh, fintech lenses first, so technology. So I went through the rabbit hole through that angle, but then it got me back to my studies at economics and and and, and business. And I actually now appreciate more the uh, the monetary policy aspect of it. Technology is just the way how it's delivered, but the, it, it fits to what Tomas said to how people are organized and having. A good technology for money um, has that ability to organize people better uh, in a way that the, the hardness of Bitcoin versus the cheap credit that we we're seeing out uh, outside. That's two different poles of 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 how to get organized people. So yeah, so monetary policy is the probably the biggest thing that that's driving me that we can actually with DBank uh, help to build over Bitcoin a layer which would actually enable that to... Until now, I didn't really get what D-Bank wants to do because, I mean, Bitcoin is like, don't trust, verify, uh, hold mm -hmm. your own keys and stuff. So what does D-Bank want to do? Um, I'll, I'll try to explain just the basic concept. It's just we basically want to build or, or uh, initiate uh, idea to build with community a third layer over Bitcoin that w will... We can use the word financialization of Bitcoin, meaning um, using the store of value of Bitcoin uh, and through the settlement layers like Lightning and Liquid and Oron Chain, have a third layer that actually enables you to build financial products out of Bitcoin with the Bitcoin as underlying. 
So using that, you can denominate any as like synthetic asset on top of Bitcoin with Bitcoin as the unlawing. And uh, you can denominate any uh, currency or, or stock or, or anything above Bitcoin. But what's the difference to liquid? Because with liquid, I can also like uh, issue own tokens. So what's the difference to the third layer? Yeah. Um, here you use the Bitcoin as underlying and on on top of that you, you, you just account for different value. On liquid you can issue um, uh, like different stable coins that already exist. Well, well on liquid if you want to issue uh, some stable coin you have an issuer and you have to trust the issuer. We want to allow Uh, any basically any asset, but probably the most liquid ones, on top of infra uh, Bitcoin infrastructure in trustless way. So I don't have a central issuer. Yes, exactly. Okay, and how does that work with smart contracts? Or <laughs> no, our our uh, building stone is co contract for difference. Basically, the, the, any any possibility how to uh, give up the exposure to Bitcoin, the underlying store of value and lock it into other asset. So you can then store on Bitcoin infrastructure uh, different uh, assets than, than Bitcoin. You lock the value to dollars or euros or, or whatever, and your underlying uh, Bitcoin, amount of Bitcoin changes all the time, but you still have $10,000 if, if you lock $10,000. So instead of going into... Uh, smart contract solutions like Ethereum, where you have tokens. Here you can have, uh, you, you can lock the value to dollars using some contracts for difference. And the contract for difference has to be trustless and decentralized. Um, if I may add something like uh, the original inspiration for like this way of thinking, this line of thinking comes from, uh, I think it's Dan Robinson's uh, Rainbow Network, uh, Rainbow Network white paper. And uh, Robinson in that paper points out that uh, you can actually create like an accounting asset on top of, uh, for example, lightning channels. And uh, this accounting asset uh, exists only as a contract between two parties, let's say. So, uh, And the two parties enter something like a CFD, something like a contract for difference, where they define uh, like the accounting asset, the amount of the accounting asset, and actually define like who takes the long uh, position and who takes the short position. And as the price of the accounting asset uh, uh, compared to, let's say, Bitcoin changes, uh, the parties settle the difference. So that, uh, for example, one party holds $100 worth of Bitcoin all the time. And uh, as the Bitcoin price changes, the parties uh, settle the difference. So that's how you can uh, like hold any kind of accounting asset uh, on top of Bitcoin with Bit Bitcoin properties. And there doesn't have to be any like uh, intermediary. I'm, I'm not from the financial industry, so I'm asking maybe silly questions but what's the practical thing to do with it do you is it trading or is it giving out tokens or, or uh, such a contract what what do you do with it it's not you can use trading for, for this as well but basically a quick example so let's say um, um, you're the hodler 
and you want to take a loan against your Bitcoins or to buy things or you want to take a loan against your Bitcoin to leverage on Bitcoin to buy more Bitcoin, right? Um, I'm the uh, holder of dollars and I'm searching for uh, an interesting uh, interest revenue. So we can use this contract for difference to uh, enter into that contract where uh, you go long Bitcoin and I'm providing that li- uh, dollar liquidity. So in essence, it looks like a loan. It's not a loan because it's CFD. It's a, it's a derivative. But you can achieve the same result as if you, you would be using a loan from BlockFi or or, or uh, taking a, a CDF from, from MakerDAO. So by that relationship, you can uh, speculate leverage long on Bitcoin. I, I, I'm providing the, the dollar liquidity. I'm going short Bitcoin. Uh, for an interest, so I make my interest. You you go long Bitcoin, and this creates actually the the contract. When you you can have that relationship with Bitcoin and dollar, you can have that relationship with uh, Bitcoin and euro. And if you put these two assets together, cancel out the Bitcoin, you can suddenly it can arrive into an ecosystem that ha- that can trade euro and dollar only. So you basically could create. On top of Bitcoin as the underlying, like a layer, like a uh, like a mirror layer of today's financial system, uh, with Bitcoin as the underlying, but have any asset that has a uh, external price on top of it, without the need to have stable coins. Um, and for me, like the most uh, interesting and uh, immediate uh, use case for that would be to hold bitcoins but uh, actually enter like hedge short positions uh, and let me like illustrate with an example if you are a business that uh, wants to accept bitcoin uh, today there are basically two ways how to do that either you uh, in uh, incorporate in co- incorporate uh, something like bitk or any like uh, a point of sale gate which uh, handles the bitcoins for you and you never actually touch bitcoin you receive the fiat uh, currency but you have to rely on the intermediary and you are actually not really using bitcoin the other way is uh, uh, accepting bitcoin itself for example through btc pay server which is a really great service for that but uh, still the problem for businesses is uh, you hold like a very volatile asset like bitcoin still has this volatility so it would be nice if you could actually uh, receive the bitcoin itself but uh, immediately like hedge it so that you receive bitcoin but it acts um, like a dollar for example so if you could uh, have btc pay server and uh, like enter financial contracts on top of that utilizing the bank you could handle bitcoins but uh, be basically like uh, shielded from this uh, volatility and uh, if there were actually like a bull market going on you would probably receive interest uh, for your short position okay so it would be like a solution for the volatility uh, that's one problem. Use case. yes <laughs> yeah. that's uh, that's one of the use cases and right now you can like uh, enter a hedge short uh, but usually through a central party like a bitmax or uh, some uh, over the counter uh, exchange uh, so you have to like uh, deposit your bitcoin somewhere 
Mm -hmm. So you're a financial analyst, as far as I've understood. Um, how do you explain this kind of volatility in Bitcoin to people who are new? Because most of the times people say, you can't use Bitcoin because it's so volatile and everybody is uh, holding it and nobody is uh, spending it. Mm -hmm. uh, well, since uh, we don't have any like central party that could uh, set the price or manage the price, uh, what we see is basically the price discovery. As Bitcoin gets uh, adopted and people find uh, new use cases for it, uh, and since uh, the monetary policy is fixed so that we don't have to trust any central party, its ultimate price has to be discovered. And uh, it's basically the same thing that uh, has been going on with gold for all of human history. Uh, so it's quite natural and uh, actually some people describe the price discovery as uh, like a good marketing tool because uh, since the beginning uh, as people found it found uh, the use cases for it uh, it went up basically like uh, the overall trend is uh, that the bitcoin price goes up so uh, and this attracts attention of course so uh It's also a nice like marketing tool because every time there's a bull market, people start asking like, what's this Bitcoin about? Why is it rising in price? Uh, so it's, it's a nice marketing tool, actually, like uh, unintended marketing. Do you see any signs that volatility is uh, lowering, like getting less? I, I think so. I haven't uh, looked at uh, like the volatility data in a long time, but it's uh, going down like... I think in like 2011, there was uh, a boom in price. It went like from $1 to $30 and uh, like a week later it went to $2. So uh, like these crazy 30 times multiples, they don't happen anymore. And uh, right now if it drops uh, like 10% a day or rises, people go crazy, but uh, it's basically nothing compared to the early days. Mm -hmm. But it might take some years. Until it's like more stable. Yeah, it's a question of like uh, uh, liquidity and uh, market capitalization. As it go grows higher, it's uh, it requires uh, more purchasing power to move uh, the price of the asset uh, for the same percentage. So moving uh, Bitcoin 10% was much easier when Bitcoin was priced like $100 than it is today when it's priced like $8,000. There's a new model out there uh, from Plan B Twitter user called Stock to Flow, which is predicting uh, pretty high values for, for, for Bitcoin. So once the adoption goes and the market cap will get into trillions of dollars market cap or, or higher, the volatility will decrease uh, until it will be pretty stable asset so that instead of only store of value use case, you can have uh, the means of exchange and you never count later on not now but but it doesn't have to take that many years as you can see from the model uh, so if you go with that speed we'll we'll match the m3 supply of dollars in in just a couple of years uh, yeah, if I the mean model the, works yeah the model from yeah, plan b is works, very yeah. optimistic yeah, yeah i would say <laughs> i guess you're also watching like things that are going on and now Bakht has started Did you uh, look at the uh, development? I mean, I think in the first days, not so many um, Bitcoins were, were exchanged. Um, do you follow that? And what's your opinion about it? Uh, yeah, we do follow all the derivatives space. 
yeah, we, we, we looked at Bach, but not that much. It's, it's, it, but it's, it looks like a good addition to derivative because most of the derivative exchanges are cash settled. Um, um, CME is cash settled, but denominated in dollars. Um, all the crypto native are cash settled, but uh, the unit of account is Bitcoin. This is the first exchange that's physically settled, uh, which changes the game a little bit in a way that you just cannot expose. You cannot do uh, bigger nominal positions than uh, the Bitcoins you actually have. So it's making shorting Bitcoin harder. And the arbitrages between backed and other exchanges will make it a more efficient market. So, but that's a, we would have to go into details of derivatives. A bit. <laughs> but why do you think that institutional uh, organizations or investors didn't invest more? Because there was like a hype uh, with Bitcoiners who thought, oh, now Bakht is coming and then the Bitcoin uh, price will go up because everybody will use it then. Uh, we're not uh, we're not experts in that, but um, there was a big hype in 2017 that the institutions are coming and that the infrastructure is being built. So there, there's one angle is probably infrastructure, like custody and and regular you know regulatory clarity and and stuff like that, um, which is growing and it's improving, but it looks like that institutions need a bit more time to in mass uh, adopt this. Um, um, as an asset, there are institutions already uh, in in crypto, but probably not at that uh, level as everybody would expect. Well, I think that uh, in, in most of communities or most uh, future and derivatives trading, uh, the traders do not want to wait until delivery, and uh, they just want to expose and trade. Uh, so. In most commodities, uh, cash settled futures are much more liquid than the physically settled. And, uh, physically settled futures are good for, uh, businesses who really work with bitcoins. Regulated businesses who really work with bitcoins. If someone just want to get an exposure to bitcoin, he can use CME already. So I don't see why, uh, the community is so much focused on bucked. I think it's, it's nothing special. So here in the Czech Republic, I'm sure you also have like banking regulations and stuff. How is the bank regulated? Is it regulated? Does it have to? Okay, the basic concept of D-Bank is peer-to-peer -peer banking, which means that two peers enter into some relationship which the apps and the protocol can facilitate, right? If we stay on that peer-to-peer relationship then regulation can touch it in a way how these two peers can find each other they can find each other through an exchange which is regulated uh which is not our case uh, then there's the aspect of how they actually come to the terms how they want to trade or the the the, the, con the, the terms of the contract and then they how enter the contract and how they manage it we're trying to make debank in a way or the protocol so that you stay at that peer-to-peer -peer level outside of regulations. Uh, it's a bit complicated matter because we're touching derivatives here. But basically, uh, D-Bank as a concept of how you can do uh, the derivative, the CFD contract, we can actually, you and me, we can actually enter into that contract today and we just can write it down on paper. 
We don't need an app or protocol for it. You need app and protocol to make create a market and have liquidity to share liquidity. But for that basic thing, we don't we don't need anything, and we don't have to be regulated. So in certain applications or um, how you actually deliver deliver that concept, you can touch regulation more more or less. But we're trying to find a way how you would stay out of not stay out of regulations you would be compliant but that doesn't mean you will have to do kyc aml and, and some other things so we're not trying to be not compliant we're trying to stay compliant but uh not impose uh, kyc aml in, in in that ecosystem yeah hopefully i mean maybe now but but in five ten years when regulators like have more like insight and know what actually you guys do because i think a lot of the regulators don't really know what's going on and the new business mm -hmm. models and new ideas and new projects coming up and they always behind and then they come from behind and regulate more. Yeah. So that might be, but then you have just to change. It uh, yeah. might be. And that's one of the key reasons how we actually are looking into building it. Um, it's We're trying to build DBank and very much close to the traditional Bitcoin ethos open source, uh, driven by community, monetization uh, is not the priority. And we don't have a crystal ball. I mean, you know, regulators can, you know, regulate you know, Bitcoin even, you know, it's not run by a company. So um, it can can be regulated later on, but now we we think we found an angle how not how to stay compliant, but not use too much of uh, regulatory, you know, limits. Mm -hmm. And which uh, kind of data will be required from your side, from the clients or the users to make such a contract? It's it's just Bitcoin based. So think of it like you would be trading on uh, Deribit or other crypto native uh so uh, you don't need to use any names or emails nothing okay so you, you just only use bit, you just take your bitcoin download mm -hmm. the app which is not uh, not live yet mm -hmm. you just download the app um uh use your bitcoins and you find your counterparty and you enter into a contract mm -hmm. interesting and uh, you just said the app is not working right now so where in in which phase are you um, we've been working with the team for the last 12 months on the concept that you can see in the white paper, mm -hmm. which is basically the conceptual idea of the peer banking. There's no technicalities in it. Um, we, uh, some team members already put out uh, a way how to uh, launch it over Lightning using distributed log contracts, and that's already uh, published. Uh, We're thinking of now releasing how to actually implement it over on-chain, uh, open source. We'll, we'll, we'll publish it uh, soon. And um, we'll be trying to get community to help us build not the protocol, but the whole ecosystem. So another part we want to publish is the description of the whole ecosystem and the players that could play part in it, like we described the financiers and, and, and miners, etc. Et and we hope that the, the community will pick it up and, and find the right spot for, 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 each to, for each to play. But what's the business model behind for you? I mean... It will be different for every company that will be part of the ecosystem. So one... Yeah. Uh, we started with the... We wanted to first create the MVP, the app, 
and we've done a little bit of coding, but they didn't do much, much yet. So, because we found out that we're actually creating something much bigger than just an app to go into derivative contract. So we said, okay, we'll just publish uh, everything what we have and have community, you know, uh, help us build it. And we will decide in which part of that ecosystem will be playing a role. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like as if it's a global marketplace, because if I only yeah. have to put in yeah. my Bitcoin, then yeah. Yeah. it doesn't matter where I yeah. live. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. Okay, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd like to like add uh, one thing. Like when it comes to regulatory scrutiny today uh, regarding uh, derivat derivatives, um, usually what's... Uh, Regulated is like uh, the intermediary, the brokers, the dealers, the providers. And uh, like um, if there is a custodial relationship, if there is a handling of fiat, that's what gets regulated today. Uh, and like uh, uh, our line of thinking is uh, we can actually like uh, provide uh, the tools for users to create like these financial contracts or derivatives without any of these elements. So we are, we of course don't know like uh, uh, what the regulator's uh, outlook would be. And we will of course like uh, uh, discuss this with uh, lawyers before we publish anything like uh, the real product. But uh, it seems like uh, basically we are inspired like how, for example, Compound on Ethereum or DYDX on Ethereum or Huddle Huddle uh, for Bitcoin, the exchange, how they handle stuff. And uh, we can see uh, that they like these basic elements that regulators usually look at. So uh, I think it's a good starting point to just not handle fiat, not do any custody and not be like uh, the counterparty or the intermediary. Okay, just don't get uh, near being like a financial provider in any way. Yeah, that's uh, that's the idea. Yeah, so, and when do you want to launch? Is there a planned date or time? Or is it work in progress? It's work in progress, yeah. What, what we want to launch is the, the papers first for, for the community to, to start building with us, so... Okay, so now we're here at the Hackers Congress and the motto is opt out. Do you think with Bitcoin we can opt out today, really? I think, um, yeah, a lot of people already did opt out. Uh, but uh, like uh, the utility of opting out uh, depends on where you are in the world and what kind of uh, services uh, you are able to access. So... Of course, it's uh, like quoted all the time, but uh, if we take a look at like Venezuela or Iran or Afghanistan, uh, they have like pretty uh, bad national currency and uh, the inflation is actually higher than uh, uh, than uh, any kind of bear market in Bitcoin. So these kind of people have the ability to opt out today and it's uh, actually useful for them to opt out. For us in like uh, Central Europe, uh, we don't have this kind of problem because we have low inflation for now. We have um, good access to financial services and credit. Uh, but uh, I think like if we like look at the long-term trends, uh, this can change in the future, maybe after next financial crisis. So it's good to 
like staying informed uh, about these kind of te technologies and uh, learn to use them because it may come in handy uh, for us as well. And on a more personal side, um, how do you protect your privacy with Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies or in general in your digital life? I mean, has it a high priority? Well, myself, I'm not, uh, I wouldn't describe myself as like a crypto anarchist. I know like uh, my friends are heavily like pro privacy. Uh, What I like uh, to do is like general uh, digital hygiene. Like uh, I don't have like my real name on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, I try not to share too much uh, personal photos. Uh, I have a family, but I never share like uh, their photos uh, online. I use uh, Signal, like private messaging. Uh, and for for Bitcoin... Uh, it's always good uh, like not to touch uh, exchanges that do KYC or if you do that then then to like perform uh, like the UTXO management to be aware like uh, uh, which part of your Bitcoin touch the KYC and like uh, handle it uh, appropriately or like mix it uh, using Wasabi for example doing it coin join yeah coin join yeah Yeah, okay. So, um, Josef, you're talking tomorrow, I think. Yes. Yeah? What, what are you going to talk about? So, my topic is, uh, it's called uh, Bitcoin's security budget is adequate for now. And uh, it's, uh, it's a look at uh, like the settlement assurances of Bitcoin and uh, why we actually trust that our transactions are immutable and irreversible. And I try to derive something like a metric for uh, finding out if what we pay to miners is adequate to secure like what's get what gets transacted. Uh, I'm heavily like inspired by works by Dan Held and Nick Carter and Hasu, and uh, using only the on-chain on-chain data, I think I arrive at like a good metric uh, to find out whether what we pay miners is adequate and this is heavily like relevant uh, when it comes to bitcoin halvings because because uh, the subsidy is going away like what the miners get from uh, new bitcoins and we have to replace that by fees and uh, like in 10 years 97% of all bitcoin will be mined And heavily, and fees will heavily need to take over, or the Bitcoin price needs to be much higher. Uh, and I think like uh, the relation between what miners get and what's transacted on chain, uh, there's a good correlation. It's not uh, it's not random because uh, if we if we need to transact like billions of dollars on chain, and miners would receive like a couple of thousand dollars, that wouldn't be safe, uh, and. Actually, I think like one percent of the daily transfers is about the adequate uh, security budget, and I'll explain that in uh, the talk. Why is that? Mm -hmm. So you think that after the happening in May, about May 2020, miners will still get enough money? I think they still will, uh, but it would be good if uh, either price of Bitcoin went up to compensate or the fees went up. And uh, like the problems with fees today is uh, they only make up like 2% of the security budget. Like 98% of what miners earn is just the block subsidy. So um, and this 
over the years will start to be a problem if it doesn't change because we need the fees to take over. And uh, like uh, for the past halving, uh, halvings, it was compensated by the rising price so that miners actually uh, earn like uh, $20 million daily today and it's the highest in history. But it's uh, caused just by the subsidy and the high uh, like Bitcoin price. Mm -hmm. Do you think that uh, moving into a second layer, like into Lightning, uh, will help? I mean, uh, lowering transaction costs uh, on the chain? Well, <laughs> we don't want actually uh, on-chain, uh, low on-chain transaction fees. We need high on-chain transaction fees. But uh, Lightning uh, can help uh, in something that... Uh, I think it was Nick Carter, he calls it like a transaction density, uh, so that you don't actually care if you pay $100 for on-chain fees, because uh, there's an economic activity like of $10,000 behind it. And uh, this economic activity takes place, for example, on uh, the Lightning Network. And something like D-Bank could actually help with that, because uh, if you increase the transaction density so that you don't care about... Uh, paying uh, like uh, tens or hundreds of dollars for the fee, then it's good. Then it's on the good way. But if I understand that right, like when you say in a lightning channel, uh, 10.000 euros, for instance, then it might be 10.000 people or behind or 10.000 transactions. Or how do you mean that? And then the 100 euros for the transaction fee is divided by those 10,000 people. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, the nice part that uh, for the individual people, it's not a huge cost and uh, it's like uh, just a fraction of their economic activity. Uh, but uh, if they settle and they, I think they should settle uh, like uh, over some period, uh, it falls into the base layer and the miners get uh, their transaction fees. And if we have a lot of economic activity on top of Bitcoin, for example, on top of uh, Lightning uh, Network, uh, then we won't have this problem with uh, transaction fees because um, the utilization is actually that high that uh, it pays off for people to sometimes settle with uh, high like uh, transaction fees for this particular transaction. And what's your pessimistic view about that? I mean... Well, um, some may say that uh, altcoins uh, could offer like a good substitute for Bitcoin on-chain transactions. And then we could have a problem because uh, uh, this could... This, this, this could go like, uh, on and on that, uh, like if, uh, some, uh, network gets, uh, high transaction fees, people would switch to another network and we uh, actually never would uh, arrive, uh, at uh, like a safe, trustless global um, settlement network. That would be a problem. Mm, that would really be a problem. Yeah. Uh, maybe to the opt out question, I think we should be, um, realistic, like, and practical. So, so like for, for everyday people, like opting out today, you can do with Bitcoin as a store of value. So instead of saving your money in fiat in a bank, just, uh, use Bitcoin, uh, for just a portion of your, you know, portfolio of say or savings and, and have a pretty high chance that if Bitcoin makes it, you will make a lot of, uh, value, uh, out of it. Um, but that's just for savings today, right? And and then um, in everyday life, I mean, we'll, we'll use fiat most probably for long 
time still. So opting out from the banking system is just, uh, it's not on the table yet. So we need payment cards. We need payment cards that can transfer, you know, ideally Bitcoin to fiat uh, at the time of the payment, etc. But yeah, so opting out, I think, is, is, is good in the store of value use case, but not in the everyday uh, payment yet. Yeah, and I think it's a good idea for people, maybe everywhere, to try to think about opting out of like a social security system, like uh, the state-sanctioned uh, pensions, because it's quite a generally accepted idea that uh, there won't be a- enough money to pay uh, the pensions uh, as they are today. Uh, and it's quite a mainstream idea. People are not surprised by that if uh, I talk with people. Uh, but they actually don't know like uh, what's what's the alternative, what's the way out. And I think uh, Bitcoin is like, uh, I think it's Raul Paul. He always uh, says that uh, Bitcoin is uh, like a good, cheap option for the future financial system and actually state pensions as well. So do you have any recommendations for our listeners um, about Bitcoin or other interesting economic books you read in the last time, educating in Bitcoin or other stuff? Well, uh, I just recently read uh, a book for from Paul Rosenberg. He's going to be at the Hackers Congress as well. It's called uh, A Lodging of Wayfaring Men. And uh, it was uh, like... I was strongly impressed by that because uh, he actually writes about like opting out and uh, creating a system of private commerce and uh, like private um, security system, social security system that's uh, completely uh, based on like voluntary interactions and no coercion. So that's like a nice uh, political philosophy basis for uh, what Bitcoin is trying to achieve. And as for Bitcoin resources itself, I always loved uh, the site put together by, uh, by Jameson Lop. Uh, it's, uh, I think, lop.net. So that's my recommendation for people trying to get serious about Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah. Um, buy Bitcoin and start asking questions. <laughs> that, that, that's what worked for me. I mean, for, for me, the biggest thing was just buying it and starting asking questions and it got me from technology to monetary policy back again so i feel like back in school but i've got a one book that's it's called inventing bitcoin i'm just actually reading it it's from jan pritzker and it's just like if you want to understand bitcoin from the ground up you he says the best thing is to try to build it yourself sort of like on paper and he takes you it's in very simple terms a book that actually takes you of if you were about to build bitcoin what do you have to do And by building it, you learn it. So it's it's really interesting book. It's not for techies. It's for just normal people how to actually build it. Okay, thanks. I will put that in the show notes for everybody to find. Last question. How is uh, Bitcoin doing in the Czech Republic? I mean, are people interested or is it uh, more like a negative interest? Like, mm, don't care. I think it's uh, doing uh, pretty well because uh, like, we have a strong... Uh, underlying network of uh, companies and institutions in Czech Republic. We have uh, Satoshi Labs. Uh, they are the authors of Slashpool and uh, Trezor and CoinMap. And we have Parallel Nipolis. That's uh, like a, 
the whole building of uh, four stories that's dedicated to cryptonarchy, Bitcoin, and privacy. Uh, there's a Bitcoin coffee uh, at, uh, at, uh, at the ground level of uh, Paranipolis. And uh, I think it's actually the only coffee in the world that uh, accepts uh, like only Bitcoin and I think uh, Litecoin as well. Uh, but they, uh, they don't accept any fiat currency in here. Uh, and we have... Actually, we also have uh, like a boutique uh, uh, attorney uh, attorney office. It's called Blockchain Legal, and they are uh, focused on like uh, uh, like finding uh, legal uh, like how to say <laughs> like uh, how how the businesses can be sure that uh, what they are doing is compliant in uh, like check environment. So uh, yeah, we have quite a strong institutional basis here and uh, like uh, we have a Facebook group for example uh, like Bitcoin community Czech and Slovak and it has like 20,000 members and I think they are quite highly informed uh, the price doesn't get discussed as much as like technical stuff so it's pretty cool yeah, and I also forgot uh, there's like this big uh, chain of uh, consumer electronics Alza and uh, they also accept Bitcoin for like two years and uh, they run this series of educational articles about Bitcoin and altcoins and uh, it's like the uh, top uh, top of the uh, range uh, in, when it comes to educational articles in Czech. So I think businesses are not afraid of Bitcoin in here. Uh, regulators don't understand that much. <laughs> But uh, they are getting informed, for example, by the guys from Blockchain Legal, which can like talk in their language. So that's good. Uh, and generally, uh, I meet a lot of people in Paralnipolis that are new to Bitcoin and uh, they get uh, good resources in here. And uh, they just don't have this idea that it's used for like drug traders or something. So mm. it's good. Yes, great. Thanks. And where can people find you, your project and the white paper and follow you? So our landing page is uh, dbank.io. It's uh, D-E-B-N-K.io. Uh, but we don't have uh, much uh, of the stuff in there. We have a link to our Twitter and a link to our white paper. So uh, the main resource from us is the white paper and uh, like uh, the paper describing discrete lock network, uh, discrete lock contracts on top of Lightning Network. Uh, you said before that you're looking for developers because it's an open source project. How could they like uh, write to you? I think best would be hit us on Twitter, uh, which has the Twitter handle dbank.io, yeah. at dbank.io, so that would be best, yeah. Okay, great. Thanks. I will put that in the show notes too. And uh, have a great conference and all the best for your project. And thanks for your time. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can support me via PayPal, Bitcoin and Lightning at bitcoinandco.com forward slash en forward slash donate. And as always, this is a podcast, not financial advice. Please do your own research. If you like my show, please subscribe to it in your podcast player and share the episode on social media. You can find all links that were mentioned in the show notes on the website or in your podcast player. You can contact me also on Twitter, LinkedIn or YouTube. Goodbye from Vienna. Auf Wiederhören. 
Music, start with yes, delicate beats. Idea, content and production, yours truly, Anita Posch. <laughs>